PAD Speaker Series podcast. This week, Mayra Salazar Rivera, CAD Student Ambassador, will be interviewing Roberto Martinez Illescas, head of OECD Mexico Center. Roberto just delivered a talk on productive transformation in Latin America and a strategic participation in global value chains from an OECD perspective. Thank you so much, Roberto, for being here with us. Thank you. Uh, it's a pleasure and uh, I feel honored to be back at the Kennedy School as an alumni and uh, after uh, a few years to talk about what we are doing at the OECD. And this is an excellent opportunity to, to disseminate the good work of my colleagues in talking about global value chains. The first question we have is that different studies conducted by the OECD have shown that a common challenge shared by the region is a low productivity. And these studies also say that this challenge can be overcome by an efficient integration into global value chains. Yet, the extent of global value chain participation in Latin America is lower than other developing regions. So in your perspective, how can Latin America successfully integrate into global value chains, particularly in a context of sluggish global economic growth? So uh, to a good extent, the answer to that question has to do with a set of uh, key or strategic uh, policy pillars, one of which is the generation of higher value into traditional economic activities of the Latin American countries. And I was, I was talking about the Chilean experience because Chile has historically relied on um, primary products, uh, commodities, in, in both the mining sector and also the agro-food uh, sector. And Chile has, uh, to a good extent, been successful in escalating the value into traditional, those traditional activities, delivering products to niche markets, uh, differentiating their product mix so that Chile becomes a very competitive global player in areas such as, uh, historical areas such as copper and minerals, but also in areas such as the production of salmon cultivated uh, products. I mean, I'm talking about the, the, the harvesting of salmon in, in farms. So it's, it's, a, it's a very specific, differentiated way of uh, bringing salmon-related products into the global market. And so Chile did that, but also took effort and, and, and resources into developing new capacities in other sectors that were more innovation-intensive, such as the ITC sector. And so when I say ITC sector, I'm talking about information technologies services, but also in um, digital uh, economy startups. So because of NAFTA, Mexico and the U.S. have a solid integration of value chains, of global value chains in the auto industry. And a couple of weeks ago, the Wall Street Journal published an article on it, and it showed that an auto seat can incorporate pieces coming from four different states in Mexico and five different states in the U.S., so, in your opinion, what will happen to this value change if a renegotiation of NAFTA takes place? And do you think that Mexico should see this situation as an opportunity to further integrate with the South? One of the key aspects of the 
ongoing debate about what will become of NAFTA, whether it can be renegotiated or whether it can be expanded or whether, it, on the contrary, it might be at risk. I would say that the evolution of NAFTA for um, almost two decades uh, has left a legacy, and a legacy, and that's a legacy of inter complex interdependence across the border between the, between the U.S. and Mexico. And that interdependence means that it cuts both ways. So it, it, it's not the case that Mexican suppliers of automotive producers in, a glo in, in the global value chain of car making will uh, be left uh, or will be excluded if uh, NAFTA is renegotiated or, or, or suppressed, even if we go into the pessimistic scenario. What this means is that, there's, uh, that the cost of uh, substituting or relocating uh, production, production um, operations away from Mexico back into the U.S. is non-negligible, is not uh, insignificant. And so because it, it has a cost, uh, to companies. It's not a trivial decision to be made. And for that matter, I think that it will be, we can expect a reaction on the part of the companies that are most uh, benefited from uh, this interdependence, from this complementar productive complementarity across the border. So in that sense, I don't think that it's a uh, an easy uh, proposition to intervene or to dislocate productive articulation across the different uh, links of the value chain of, for example, the automotive industry uh, in, in, the, in the U.S. and Mexico. So, so I'm not as pessimistic as, as, many, as many other voices might, might, might be debating. What I'm saying is that it takes more than one side of the equation to, to manage a complex puzzle. Perfect. So if countries can integrate into global value chains and increase productivity, how can they do it in a way that fosters development? I mean, there might be positive spillovers from the expansion of global value chains, but how can that expansion assist in attaining the sustainable development goals? And I know the OECD has been doing a lot of work regarding inclusive economic growth. So can you tell us more about it? Yes, definitely. Um, one of the promises of successful integration into global value chains is uh, the generation of more jobs, the generation of uh, more economic activity at the regional level and the generation of positive spillovers from the standpoint of not only better, uh, good jo more jobs but also better jobs. And that, that promise has been fulfilled uh, partially in the case of NAFTA. When I say partially, that means that NAFTA for a, a, a good number of years generated or propelled the expansion of maquiladora, the maquiladora sector that is more, more of a relatively low-value-added low value participation into, the, into global value chains. And that meant, in the case of Mexico, that more jobs were created that involved uh, basic uh, manufacturing operations, and that, would, that, mean, that meant uh, assembly of uh, components to be re-exported into the United States. And that 
early stage of the deployment of maquiladora or the expansion of maquiladora industries through NAFTA gave also way to a more sophisticated articulation of sourcing activities from Mexico into the U.S. in, in, in the automotive uh, sector, but also more recently into the aerospace sector. And that's, that's at the early stages, but I, that's, uh, that's another promising example of how Mexico has been able to leverage from uh, lower value-added operations for assembly or basic unsophisticated assembly into more value-added operations for more innovation-intensive sectors. And so in that sense, the partial fulfillment of the prosperity value proposition has been fulfilled uh, increasingly, but there's still much more to be done. When I'm, and I'm talking specifically about the enhancement of human capital. And so if uh, the integration into any global value chain translates into the development of uh, more and better skills for people to get a decently paid job uh, in the formal sector. So that means that the integration into, the glo into global value chains is fulfilling its original promise, which is uh, the generation of well-being and also the other component of that uh, fulfillment of the, prom of the basic promises the generation of more sustainable economic activity from the standpoint of the impact on the environment. So if we talk about integration into economic sectors that are greener or that uh, make uh, better or more efficient use of energy resources or more sustainable management of natural resources, then we're talking about a more uh, robust uh, integration into global value chains. Perfect. I have one last question. So Richard Baldwin, in his latest book called The Great Convergence, said that we can no longer think of competitiveness of individual states because countries now do not need to develop industries from scratch. What they need to do is to accept foreign investment and integrate into, into global value chains. But this might increase uh, global inequality because skill-intensive industries will be concentrated in developed countries. So he said that globalization in this area cannot be approached with a small state. So what's your perspective on this topic? I differ from that perspective insofar as, and I might be wrong if I didn't read it correctly, but uh, if, if there's a model that assumes That the, and that the endowment of skills is a static endowment, then I don't think that's correct. Because one of the, the key and promising areas for emerging countries, for emerging economies, is that they can truly rely on the high return of uh, the development of better skills in the, in the population. And when I say better skills, that implies more innovative uh, education models to develop skills that are relevant to the labor market, but also I mean the uh, development of skills that can make people more entrepreneurial and, or that can make, uh, and because that, then if people have become more entrepreneurial, then there's more innovation uh, that, 
that of more innovative products and more innovative services that are part of the formal economy, tax-paying uh, economic activities, and that definitely shifts the frontier of economic possibilities for any given society. So in that sense, I would not say, I would say that when you say that global value chains generate inequality, that's too simplistic because the comparative advantages in, in, in our days that matter for the successful integration into global value chains are dynamic. And so it's no longer static advantages based on the endowment of, of natural resources or the endowment of low-skilled, uh, uh, low-wage human capital but it's about dynamic skills, uh, more entrepreneurship into niches of economic activity that, can, that are part of any given link along a, uh, the value change of a global economic production operation. So it, it's, it's, it's a more complex uh, reality that characterizes global value chains. And so there are a number of examples where you see that uh, if you talk about uh, services, for example, the services layer of uh, manufacturing global value chains, there's no problem with size. And so it's not about large countries versus smaller countries. It's about the pool of talent and entrepreneurship that can harness or that can respond to the needs of specific links along the, the value chain, but from a service delivery standpoint. And so Services have this virtue of uh, equalizing across economic activities and across economic actors, making sheer size uh, relative. Thank you so much, Roberto, for this interesting conversation. It was a pleasure having you at the Center for International Development today. Oh, thank you. If you want to learn more about CID and our events, please visit cid.harvard.edu.